You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. So this week, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, one of the aspects of the Spirit. Uh, And I feel like one of the things that we end up discussing oftentimes here at Citrus is how scriptures are oftentimes misused or how they're misunderstood, or more particularly, how scriptures have been uh, used to abuse others. So part of what I always hope to do is to lift up uh, the scriptures and to lift up the name of Jesus, but also to point to ways where he said, this is how we've interpreted or heard this said before, but this may not be how it measures with the rest of scripture. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at another one of those ones. And I'm kind of wondering if anybody has ever heard before of the unforgivable sin. Yeah, okay. So anybody heard of the unforgivable sin? Bum, bum, bum. Right? Sounds, sounds ominous. Right? Um, by the way, if you're in here for Toy Story, it's going to get deep really quick, so you may want to go back and see Toy Story next door. Uh, the unforgivable sin is one of those uh, things that kind of floats around Christian circles and Christian communities. And when I first became a Christian after high school and kind of early in college, the unforgivable sin was kind of floated out there, and I thought, oh gosh, I hope I don't commit that one, right? Like, the, the ominous nature of it is this idea that there's something that we could do that would simply be unforgivable by God. And that sounds bad, and it sounds worse when people mention, oh, that one is in the Bible, and here's where it is. <clears throat> so, in my mind, no... A sermon on the Holy Spirit will be complete without talking about the unforgivable sin because the unforgivable sin corresponds with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this morning we're going to look at one of those scriptures that has been often used uh, and in my mind often misused. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what the unforgivable sin is, but like now I'm super worried because now that's an option for me. Right? So if you have not heard of that and you were not previously worried... I'd like to go ahead and at this point just tell you that we're going to end this sermon in a place where hopefully you are not further worried or for, further concerned about your mortal soul, right? Um, what I hope to do is to take us a place where we see that God's plan for us is never to trick us or to surprise us or, or that we could ever do something that would keep us from the love of God. Uh, but when I think about this, I, I want to take us to the scripture that this comes from, and it comes from Luke chapter 12. And if you'd like to follow along, you can do that using our mobile app, today at citrus.org. Put that into your browser, and you can see the scripture there. Uh, but this is, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking in the book of Luke. Uh, and when he's teaching some of his disciples in a very large crowd that has gathered, he said this. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before humans, the human one will acknowledge before God's angels. Just a slight pause there. Uh, When the version that we use says human one, that's Jesus' way of referencing himself. Your translation may say the son of man. Those are the same terms that Jesus uses to speak of himself. But the one who rejects me before others will be rejected before God's angels. Anyone who speaks a word against the human one will be forgiven. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. Bom, bom, bom. This is where we get this from. When they bring you before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will tell you at that very moment what you must say. And so this idea here where anything that is said against Jesus can be forgiven, but anything that's said against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven, is where we get this concept of of the thing that can't be forgiven, the unforgivable sin. So when I think about this idea, I think about... 
a, a concept of we've already lost the race before we even knew it started is what this gives me the impression of, that there's something that we could do that would mean that we've already lost God's love, God's favor, God's care before we really even got started in our faith. And as I think about that, it, it takes me back to a time uh, in 1994 when the hottest game on the market was Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, all right, okay. A few of you have played that, right? Uh, I was approximately 12 or 13 when this came out. Uh, and this game was revolutionary because it was one of the first games that really delved well into 3D graphics. Right? I could probably give a sermon not focused on Jesus, but about the merits and, and benefits of this game. I'll digress and maybe save that for a later date and time. <laughs> uh, but, but when this particular game came out, uh, my friends and I had it, and we played it, and we played it almost religiously. We, we'd, have, we'd have sleepovers to play it. Uh, we'd get together any free time that we had, and we'd play it. And we got really good at this. And so our local Blockbuster videos, which also dates this reference, right? Our local Blockbuster videos, when they were like thriving and booming, and man, you would hit that on a Friday night to get your movies, your games, right, some popcorn, that was the place you went. Uh, well, when this game came out, they decided to host a tournament. And my friends and I got really excited. And we were getting really good. And, and I don't say this to brag, I really was. I was the best of my group of friends at the game. Like, I'll show you. You can call Tom and Greg and Steve, and they will affirm this at the time. And so we were spending a lot of time practicing. We'd signed up for the tournament, which you had to do with paper and pencil at the Blockbuster video in person back then. And we were getting ready for it. And the way they framed the tournament was we went up there the day of, and it was a single life, so you only had one chance. And it was who could get the furthest in the game with the fastest time. And, and so I'd been practicing, and, and I'd been making it along, and, and everything had been going well, and we were up there the day of for the tournament. Uh, I remember my friends went before I did, and then it was my turn, so I stepped up to the console, and I got ready, and I made it three screens in, and my monkey jumped, and my finger slipped off the button, and it went right down the little hole in the screen. And my game was over. And I remember standing there kind of like holding the controller like, what just, what just happened? Like, I've been practicing for this for months. I, I could easily make it past the level jungle hijinks, which was the first level. Right? But, but everything in that moment was over. And I remember my friends having to, like, move me away because I was just, I was just dumbfounded. I had no idea how this could have happened. And in that moment, it felt to me so unfair because, like, I wanted to do over. I wanted to redo because all of a sudden, everything kind of fell apart. And it's like this. Sometimes there's things in life where we feel like the test is over before it even started. Right? And we knew that we'd be able to make it three, four levels, and we don't even get past the first three screens. And we feel like, how is the test over? How is this already ended? How do I not have a second chance? Right? Clearly, I did not go on to become, as many of the movies told me, the, the champion of this game. And I believe that's the struggle we find when we come to something about uh, the unforgivable sin is it begins to feel like there are things in the life of faith or as followers of Jesus that we could do and all of a sudden be left standing there, kind of holding a controller, and any chance that we have of going to heaven or being forgiven or being accepted of God's love has just fallen down that hole three screens in, and we're just kind of being shuffled off to the side and said, oh well, too bad, your game's over. And I believe that's the problem with, with the concept that we have put around this idea of 
the unforgivable sin that we could commit against the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is how God's plan for us is never to trick us. It's never to um, push us out of grace in such a way that we can never get back in. And whether or not this is a familiar passage to you, I know that there are people who are followers of Jesus who have felt anxiety about this. Because what if I did commit this? God's intention for us is always to set us free from fear, to lead us to places of freedom, and to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Uh, So this morning as we jump into this, I want to look in particular about what this passage means and what it means for you and I this morning. So as we begin, there's the part here where it says, Anyone who speaks a word against the human one, Jesus, will be forgiven, but whoever insults the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. And so it seems pretty easy. Jesus is okay with people uh, wronging him or speaking against him. He's okay with that. I feel like there's a protective older brotherness to this. He's like, you can mess with me, but like, don't mess with my spirit, right? Like, say what you want to my face, but don't talk bad about him. You can, I'll forgive you, but that's not forgivable. So what we talked about last week was that how the, uh, the Trinity, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit are all one. And we can see that again in this passage, how there is this uh, relationship, this community between Father, Son, and Spirit that works together, that nurtures, and even in this case, protects each other. So what I want to look at this morning is how this does not mean that we or anyone else is unforgivable. It does not mean that there is something that we could do that is unforgivable. What this does mean, though, is that there are things that we can do that we could put under the category of grieving the Spirit. So there are things that we could do that that grieve the Spirit or to cause the Spirit a deep sense of sorrow. For example, if if we ignore the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives after we become a follower of Jesus and receive the Spirit, that grieves the Spirit. If we resist something that the Spirit is trying to do, Or maybe, for example, if there's something that God has kind of pointed out in our life or in our practice or in how we live that God desires to change, and we sense the Holy Spirit uh, putting that on our hearts and sensing that there is a way that we can go about this differently, whether it's our attitude, whether it's how we drive, that's no one here, (laughs) whether it's how we treat that coworker that we hate, our enemies, if there's something that God puts on our heart to change and we begin to resist the Spirit's work in us, to change, that grieves the Spirit. Anytime we we rebel or neglect the Spirit's work or when our egos get a little bit more full of ourselves and we begin to think a little more of ourselves than we should, anytime we just can't believe that God wants to do something in our life, these are the things that cause the Spirit sorrow and sadness and grief. Again, hear me say, these are not unforgivable but they make the Spirit sad. Because the Spirit of God wants to work inside of you and inside of me to shape us and change us and mold us, uh, sometimes gently and sometimes forcefully, into the image of Jesus Christ. So that as you and I live in the world, we are not Jesus, but people can see Jesus in your actions and in my actions. And God loves to see us reshape our lives and submit our lives and surrender places of our lives so that we can look more like Christ And it makes God sad when we resist or rebel or our egos simply say, like, I'm not going to go that way. I can't go that way. It might make me look bad. 
So what I want you to hear this morning is that there are things that we can do, and at times do, and that's why we need forgiveness. And these are the things that grieve the Spirit, but hear me when I say, these are not unforgivable sins. When we do those things, when we resist what God is trying to do, but then eventually when we give in, when we say, you know, Lord, you're right, I want you to have your way inside of me, I want you to do what it is that you want and change me and shape me, then that makes the Spirit glad and it makes God glad and it's our form of of turning around and going a new direction towards God. So on one hand, there's that. On the other hand, and this might be where people might have a, a, a chance to say, well, this is the unforgivable sin. They would say, but what the passage says is that if you lie against the Holy Spirit, or the fun word that they use is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because when you say blasphemy versus lie, it just sounds better, right? Like, that sounds more powerful. Like, you didn't just lie to me, you blasphemed me. So that's the concept there, is that there are, there are ways that we can lie or blaspheme the Spirit. And examples of this might be just an outright rejection of the reality that God is real and active in the world. Or, for example, uh, ascribing evil to God. So, so seeing God's work in the world or God's kingdom and simply saying, that is evil. I recognize that may be God, but I see that as evil. So, so these are things that people may do, either as Christians, we're probably thinking ahead of someone who has not decided to follow Jesus or someone who's not a Christian, and this is making a categorical statement, but someone who says, I am, I am fully against anything that God is doing, right? And we may admit that some of us have lived our lives that way at a period of time. And so these are actively saying, not just resisting what God is trying to do in us, these are actively saying that what God is doing is evil, that I reject the reality of God in anything that purports to be God. And so what we're doing essentially is choosing to place ourselves outside of who God is. And so some would say that and read this passage and say, that is the unforgivable sin because you are lying against the Spirit. And what I want to make clear here is that our disbelief in God does not tie God's hands. Whether you and I choose to believe and accept that God is real does not make God real or not. Right? Me affirming that Christ is risen from the dead, or if I affirm that he is not risen from the dead, does not all of a sudden change the reality that Christ is risen from the dead. Do you see where I'm going? So what I'm trying to say is that what is happening here is not that the Holy Spirit all of a sudden refuses to forgive anything that we do. What's happening is we are choosing to remove ourselves from God's grace and God's work. In fact, John Calvin puts it in a way that is uh, much better than I could in his work called Institutes. He said, God is never defeated by our blasphemies, only we. God is never defeated by the things that we believe or don't believe, only we, only you and I. The only person who is defeated is ourselves, when we choose to place ourselves outside of God's love and care. What this reminds us is that the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, his life, his death, and his resurrection, are fully capable of saving us and working in our lives, whether we choose to believe it or not. In my mind, the great mystery of faith is that we make this choice to believe. And this comes back to free will. God never wants to force you and I into a relationship with him. I mean, think about your friendships and your relationships now. It doesn't feel quite genuine if, if it's forced, right? It feels more like a class project 
and you're stuck with this person. Yeah, right? Yeah, and God's like, oh, wow, I got them in my group, and I'm going to be doing all the work. Okay? So if God was to force us to become believers in him and to accept the reality that he's real, all of a sudden we're in this forced relationship. But free will says that we can freely choose to follow God or we can freely choose to remove ourselves from that love and care. What it does not change is God's love and grace for you, for others, for the entire world, for all people. Again, the only people who are defeated are us. And I, I believe the best example of this is the example of Paul. Uh, we know Paul because he wrote most of the New Testament. Right? Pretty much everything after the book of Acts was written by Paul. All the letters that, are, that we have recorded were written by the apostle Paul. But Paul didn't start off as Paul, and I know some of you probably know this story. Maybe some don't. Uh, Paul began his life and his ministry under the name of Saul. And so uh, Saul shows up in a passage a little bit earlier. Uh, actually jumped ahead, so stop reading. <laughs> stop reading that. Thank you. Uh, Paul shows up before this particular passage, and there's a man there named Stephen. And this is shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, and he came back, and the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and the first church was born. And so all of a sudden, these Galileans, these, these unlearned men and women, were beginning to speak God's truth in powerful ways, and it was astonishing people. And one of those early people to speak up and to become a preacher on God's behalf was a man named Stephen. And Stephen was declaring to his fellow Israelites, his fellow Hebrews, about how God's work in Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that they ever had. And how now their job was to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he was boldly declaring the faith, and it was making the religious leaders and the authorities mad. Mostly because it was undermining their whole system of life and government. And so they get so mad with him that they decide to, to stone him. And so they push him out to this quarry, and they begin to gather stones, and they begin to stone him. Now, now I assume that stoning someone is a lot of hard work, and Jewish men would have worn kind of cloaks, clo those two words together, cloaks, and that makes it a little bit hard to throw a stone well. So they would have taken off their cloaks, their, their overgarments, and handed them to a young rabbi a young religious person and that one happened to be Saul so Saul on that day in scriptures is the person who's holding all the cloaks and all the coats of the men who are stoning Stephen to his death for speaking up for Jesus Christ Saul lived a lot of his life believing that everything about who Jesus was was wrong he lived his life on what we would say is the unforgivable side of the Holy Spirit he was someone who believed that everything that Jesus did and everything about Jesus' kingdom was not just a bad idea, but was evil and wrong and against God. And, and to the point where he was willing to hold the coats of the men who were throwing the rocks to kill the preacher on Jesus' behalf. So if anybody is unforgivable, it should be Paul. So now we'll read together. Uh, in 1 Timothy, as Paul writes this letter, he says, even though I used to speak against him, being Jesus, attack his people, and I was proud. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured out all over me and along with the faithfulness and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. 
if there was an unforgivable sin that we could commit against God, Paul was guilty. And yet, he is able to boldly declare, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of them all. And I think the more that we can accept that, that we are sinners saved by grace, the more we can receive the Spirit's work within us. When we start to believe that we're not that bad or we don't really do anything that's wrong, we begin to kind of lift up our ego and we begin to remove ourselves from the things that God wants to do. When we can see that we have done things wrong, we are not perfect, we make mistakes, we act in ways that are not according to how Jesus lived, we are sinners. Then all of a sudden we open up the floodgates, as Paul said, for the Lord's favor to begin to pour in, for the Spirit to work in our lives and to change us. So if Paul can find forgiveness, and if Paul is forgiven, then we are too. And if that's the case, then there is not a sin that we could commit that God could ever not forgive. It's like this idea of could God ever create a rock that was too big for God to move? That's a fun little line of thought to think down on your Sunday afternoon as you're relaxing later today. Just kind of work that one through your brain. That one's a hard one to answer philosophically, but what we do know faithfully is that there's nothing that we can do that will ever exclude us from God's love. We can choose to remain far from God, but God is always right there. It's almost like the further away that we walk, as soon as we turn around, it's like Christ has caught right back up to us. And maybe we run for a mile or five miles or ten miles away, and we think we've gotten a long ways away from God, and we realize it, and we turn around to look for God, and it's like he's still right there behind us, with us, ready to forgive, ready to welcome back home. Unfortunately, what this idea of an unforgivable sin has created is not a sense of faith, but a sense of fear. And I don't have to tell you that there are any number of things on any given day that are offered to you and I that we should or can be afraid of. Right? It is easy to live a life of fear. It's a lot harder to live a life of faith. So what I want to show you is that this verse does not end leaving us afraid. It doesn't end with, if you speak anything against the Holy Spirit, it won't be forgiven, period. Right? That would be ending with fear. If we read, it continues on, when they bring you before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry. Don't worry. And I actually thought, you know, we could just probably like put that up there and highlight don't worry, and that'd be a great sermon for today. Right? Whatever it is that you and I are facing, whatever it is that we are afraid of or fearful of, the gospel this morning to us, the good news of Jesus Christ, is don't worry. Not because everything is going to work out and be easy and be perfect, but because as followers of Jesus, we choose to place our faith over our fears. Worrying is a choice as much as not worrying. It doesn't mean that the things that you and I are facing are not real. It doesn't mean that they couldn't mean that our entire lives could fall apart. What it means for us is that as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are choosing, even if it makes no sense and it's the hardest thing we could ever do, to put our faith in front of our fear. And to say, I believe that there is nothing that can happen that God cannot work in or redeem. As Paul would say, even someone like me. So this morning I want to encourage us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to take us through our fear to faith. And as simple as it sounds, to not worry 
Now, the worries that we might face might be different from the worries that Paul talked about. I really don't believe that any of us have to worry about being stoned for our beliefs. Right? We don't have to worry that someone is going to come and attack us physically for our beliefs. That is a reality for followers of Jesus throughout the world. But I think most of us in this community, if someone doesn't like what we believe, they just, they just don't really care, do they? <laughs> There's just not that kind of confrontation. So while you and I may not be worried that we may have to stand up and boldly declare before a panel of religious authorities our faith in Jesus that is well-reasoned and well-thought-out, I believe the challenge that we have more often is simply in our everyday life, living as we feel Jesus inviting us to, living as the Holy Spirit is moving in us, welcoming our neighbors, accepting others, creating community, offering love and forgiveness, not just to our friends, but to our enemies. And I believe that those are the things that are just as hard to do for us in our modern world today. So my invitation to you this morning is for us to continue to speak up on Jesus' behalf and to speak out on behalf of others where we see injustice in the world. The invitation for us is to speak up when there's an opportunity to share Jesus with someone else. And a lot of times I think that just comes in the form of if you see someone going through a bad day or going through a hard time, offering, can I pray for you? Or can I at least, is there something that I can do to help? Most people won't start throwing stones at you if you just offer to help or to pray for them. There's ways that we can simply live our lives that are beneficial to others. There's things that we can do where we see others in trouble, whether it's an injustice or bullying or something that we can clearly see is not God's way in the world. And it's an invitation for us to step in and to be the healing hands of Christ in that moment. And it's a reminder for us that when the opportunity arises and we see an opportunity to speak up or to speak out on behalf of Jesus, to know that even if you don't have the words to say, or you're not quite sure if you can explain all of Christian theology over like a 10-minute break at work, which is okay, to know that whatever the opportunity is, when the opportunity presents itself, the Holy Spirit is at work in you to give you the words to speak, even if they don't come out perfectly. Know this morning that the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us here this morning and is there to help, to give us the words, to help us to speak up. And, and I'll be the first one to say that I miss as many opportunities as I take, right? I, I, I miss as many opportunities as I get right. There's any number of times in a week where I was like, oh, man, I should have said this to that person. Or, oh, I didn't even realize that they were going through a hard time. And then, praise God, there's times where I realize in the moment that God is pulling something together and there's an opportunity to, to be a friend or a listening ear or to share the good news. And I take the opportunity, and you can see God's work in me. I know you've had those experiences, too. One, one of the first books that I read when we started this church was called Launch, because we were launching a church. It made a lot of sense. Uh, and one of the quotes that always stuck with me was this one. The author said, when you decide to meet people, you will. When you decide to meet people, you will. Our journey in starting a church basically meant that we, we moved here and we didn't really know anybody, so we had to start meeting people to see if anybody would be interested in this thing too. And so the thing about starting a church was I could have sat in my little home office all day and just like typed away and did things, but this was a reminder that when you're ready to start meeting people, you will. And when we're ready to put ourselves out there, then opportunities begin to present themselves. 
And so I want to challenge us this week as you go out to simply be open to the opportunities that may present themselves to you. And as you make yourself ready, you create a vacuum where the Holy Spirit can work in and through you. So this morning, I hope you see that the Holy Spirit is not setting you up to fail. God is not working in such a way where he's like looking and waiting like, oh, oh, there it is. (laughs) That's the unforgivable sin. They're out. Next person. Some of us have been taught that. Some of us have believed that that's the God who we love and serve. We wonder if that God really loves us. Now, the God that we've seen in, in Christ, the God who is the Holy Spirit, is the one who's always setting us up to succeed, always setting us up to live more like Jesus, always with us, never abandoning us. Sometimes that's hard to believe, but by faith, I pray that we can this morning. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.